The Trials of Apollo, The Tyrant's Tomb, Chapter 9. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today because Hera stinks. Amen. If there is anything worse than hearing death, 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 it's hearing those words while having your flab poke. Can you be more specific? Hi, I'm Ava. I'm Neve. And I'm Brayden. And this is Return to Camp Half-Blood, the English class that you always wanted. Where we analyze the Percy Jackson and Heroes of Olympus books through a new theme every week. Well, Ava and Neve, how are you this week? I'm pretty good. Um, I feel like I'm kind of given the same, like similar updates every week, but... Um, rehearsal for show is, is ramping up even more, um, we're in like tech and dress rehearsals and such, um, uh, very exciting stuff. The set is almost done. Um, so that's eating up a lot of my time. Um, finding more jobs, um, is, is, I, I'm, I'm seeing some success there. Very exciting. Um, yeah, and it's getting a little warmer out, which is deeply necessary for me. Um, also, I am watching the reality show of all time. Yes! Woo! I I genuinely really so, so, like, purely believe that someone took a scope, put it in my ear, and was like, like like looked in my brain and was like let's make the like this tv show that i don't know like come on, like like set in a castle in the scottish highlands it's for for those of you who don't know it's the traitors <laughs> oh i didn't say it I'm no like, yeah. okay that's funny so yeah i am watching the traitors um it's it's like I feel like it was made for for me, like like set in a castle in the Scottish Islands, hosted by Alan Cumming, um, reality TV like all stars, basically just playing mafia, like it's fucking awesome. And um, Brayden and me, but our other friend Elizabeth, who um, I'll I'll watch it. I have been um, absolutely spamming their their um texts with my reactions to this show because it's it rocks man i i love it so highly recommend it is the highlight of my week every every thursday i'm like traitors is out <laughs> it's literally so insane i love it excellent deal great of all time anyway how are you new I'm good. I'm good. Uh, same thing. We're I'm still in rehearsals, going to work. My parents came to visit this weekend, and that was very lovely because I haven't gotten to see them in a while because I had such a like uh, hectic and kind of horrible, but due to circumstances outside of our control, holiday. Um, so I didn't really get to see them a lot when I like went home for the holidays. Um, so it was good to see them, have them come here. Um, and hang out with them. It was cool. Uh, I took them to where I work, which was cool because I work at a fancy place and everyone who I work with was so nice and they like sent us free food and like didn't make a flavor or anything. It was so nice. I was like, thank you guys so much because the food there is really expensive. <laughs> so it's very nice of them to do that. Um, and yeah, it's been, been a good day. There was a huge President's Day sale. At those thrift store 
uh, two blocks down from our house. Everything was 50% off. 50% off. So we just absolutely cleaned out. It was very great. Um, how are you, Brayden? I'm good. I The show I was just working on closed. So I have a week off before I start rehearsals for the next show. Um, a week off that job. I still have remote work that I'm already behind on for this week for the other jobs. But I was giving myself today as like no work day, I guess, besides recording this which is also work but um the limiting the work i was doing today mostly because i need to like go grocery shopping too and mm-hmm. do laundry that which still might not know absolutely you're not gonna out how bad my laundry is they can understand but you're gonna keep your mouth shut i wasn't gonna say any details i want to know i wasn't gonna say I any want- details i was just gonna say you all won't believe how much laundry brayden has to do to to put it lightly i have no more underwear yeah. And I own and I own a good amount. Like I am like I am at the the precipice of like this is <laughs> this is the furthest I can get. Dire situation. Without doing more. Getting to like sitcom bathing suit territory. Yes. Yeah. Like we're we're really towing the line of <laughs> being able to wear the clothes I own any longer. Um even it, it is rough. It is rough out here. I uh, but like I have a weird work schedule and I just couldn't get myself to do laundry around that the past couple of weeks. But yeah, and now you have a week off. If I had a week off, all my laundry would be getting done during that week. I would be putting it off like, well, I have a week off. So the laundry will get done then. Yeah, that that's the thing is like, I was like, it's going to get done later on. I've been saying that a lot of things. I have a shelf that I have to fix for us to. I was like, I'll oh my god, yeah. I love, so I'm so I have some like half home repairs <laughs> to go about. Um, that that too, but like that'll be nice, you know. Whatever. I I think there I felt like there was something else I wanted to share on our update, but I guess I I guess it wasn't that important <laughs> because I don't remember it. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're doing good, doing good. Uh, welcome back to Return to Camp Half Blood. This week, we'll be discussing the Tyrant's Tomb, chapters 9 through 12, through the theme of discovery. What will we discover today? We might discover that we're doing the Percy Jackson Awards on (laughs) April 3rd uh, in celebration of our two 100th episode. We announced it this week. We've announced it on social media, but if you haven't heard yet this is your reminder to go vote at return slash vote vote for uh your favorite characters your favorite books your favorite moments your least favorite characters books and moments and have fun and enjoy it and we're very excited uh all of the other percy jackson podcasts um, most of the most from all uh, a lot of the other percy jackson podcasts We'll be announcing awards uh, at the award show, too. So it should be a fun time, a nice community moment for everyone. And we want as many people in the Percy Jackson fandom to be able to participate as possible. So return to camp.com slash vote. And with that, I do realize it is now my time to summarize the Tyrant yeah. Whom chapters 9 through 12 in 30 seconds. It is right now <laughs> all right so here's the deal the tattoo thing still go is going on ella's like hey here's a little bit but it's not really helpful um 
But later we figure out it's about a carousel. Um, and then we have Lupa is there. Oh, Jason's funeral. It's not that exciting. Lupa's there. And she, he's like, oh, you'll, you'll be able to invite a god to be gods and like do this thing. And uh, Tarquin uh, had the sibling books, but she burned most of them. And that was all out of order. But like that was everything. <laughs> The Senate, though, a solid list. Well, yeah. The Senate wasn't that age. like that. Te- the Senate just kind of revealed one. There were a lot of set pieces, but the information that was rolled out was very limited. Yeah, was these were just like really expansive chapters. They were so long. Yeah, it hopped locations a lot, but it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't that much information. New information for me. There's very little like action. It was very a lot of interiority. Yeah, for a problem, yeah. which is always nice, but. Yeah. Uh, as a set of chapters, like these four chapters at once, I was like, okay, and let's uh, let's keep going forward. I kind of yeah. kind of just like knew knew that this was where we were going, anyways. So like the discovery, I don't think felt as interesting. Um, but we'll talk about that more when we talk about our theme of discovery. Mm-hmm. What songs did we discover had to do with these chapters this week? Very nice. Um, I. These chapters were all very, like, they gave a very ominous vibe. Um, Because I feel like there's a very similar phenomenon happens in, like, most books of Rick's where, like, people are gearing up for a quest. Or they're like, oh, God, like, this could potentially be so super bad and we could, like, literally all die. And this could be the end of everything Um, because we don't necessarily know the extent of the power that we're going up against. Um, and I feel like that was these chapters for me. And so I wanted to um, choose a very kind of like ominous, almost like creepy-ish um, song about like not knowing what's out there. Um, so I chose In the Woods Somewhere by Hozier off his first album. It's a bonus track. Surprise, um, surprise, surprise. It's creepy, yeah, surprise. Um, <laughs> And it's creepy. So, for. And if you too think that Hosier really embodies the Percy Jackson books, you could vote for him on musical artists that embodies Percy Jackson. Or you could also vote for Olivia Rodrigo, Fallout Boy, or I can't remember the fourth person off the top of my head. So, it's probably not that. Something I think is funny, though, is that I didn't nominate Hosier for that. I know. It got, it got a couple other nominations, though. I nominated Fall Out Boy because I just think about the Sea Monsters movie. Like, come on. Yeah, I also yeah. nominated Fall Out Boy. Uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I I really don't remember who the fourth option for that category is. Um, it's not Taylor Swift, though. I thought it's Taylor, not Taylor, Taylor did not get nominated. And I it thought doesn't. It, yeah, but I kind of get that. I get that, too. I picked um, Weight of Living Part 1 by Bastille. Bastille! Um, oh, well, Bastille. I, I can't remember who I nominated, but I feel like Bastille, I might have nominated. I think it was, Bastille did. It was not in there, though. Oh, then maybe. Yeah, not in the not in the final nomination. No. I feel like when I was. Yeah. Um, this song has just been on constant rotation uh, over the past couple days. Um, but I feel like it's it's a good like it was good for these chapters, but it's also just good for Apollo's overall. It's Hillary Duff. It's Hillary Duff, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think that it's just 
very much Apollo's overall arc until now, and now starting this, like, honestly, like, the most climactic, like, one I feel like will be of the series, even though this is only the third book. It just feels very, like, final somehow. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I thought it was good. A good choice for that. My choice was It's Okay to Cry by Ricky Montgomery. Um, I think it just, it felt right for Jason's funeral. I like This is, I think, our final, like, real final moment with this. We've sat with yeah. with Jason Steph for a while, and, like, this was the final, like, yeah goodbye. And I, that, this song just felt right for that, for me. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Laura, our favorite moments of the chapter. Lavinia and Meg have a handshake now. Yes! They are so older, younger, sister-coded. And I am obsessed with that. As someone who doesn't have siblings, I'm like... I'm latching on to it. I just think it's like, like, nice that they're... Like, she finally has someone who's her age. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's just been hanging out with all these older people who are like contemporaries of... Apollo, and now we have Hazel too, who's a little younger. Hazel's now a little closer to Apollo's age, but she was always the youngest of the seven. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's something nice about totally this book for Meg finding support from people outside Apollo because Meg and Apollo have a very nice relationship now that like he is a very sibling relationship. But I'm yeah. glad that she can kind of have friends her age now that she's gone through processing a lot of the other stuff yeah and she in peaches isn't here anymore and we're not mad isn't here anymore we love to see it um lavinia also just so i love how much of like a little shit she is but like not on purpose which is even funnier yeah like she just kind of that like she kind of gives percy she gives i was literally about to say she gives percy that like she's not trying to be a little shit, but like she's just she just ends up being yeah, and keeps like falling into act like that gum yep. gum hop, and then she ends up on the quest like um oh, I <laughs> like that was really very funny. Um, also while we were reading these chapters in the same room together, Brayden audibly laughed at the "Do you have enough gum for all of the Senate?" <laughs> yes, and I see another iconic moment for her. I have some like a couple out loud chuckles. Yeah, for the that particularly like chapter twelve, the like Senate chapter was funny um and i also i really enjoyed tyson and uh, ella's banter it was also very yeah. fun all right let's take a break and then we'll come back to talk about the themes of discovery all right discovery what do we what do we have to say about discovery i i mean i i i know i asked this question but now i'm gonna talk um i was particularly interested in the Tarquin and Sybil conversation and that uh, relationship with knowledge and the way like S- the Sybil kind of extorts him. I just thought that was an interesting game where she's like, here, here are my nine books. This is pay a hundred dollars for them. And he's like, no, that's too much. And she's like, all right, there's only six now because the other is are destroyed and will never exist again. But it's still going to be $100. And he was like, still, no. And she threw three more in the fire right in front of him. <laughs> it was like, by the way, it's still $100. 
I'm I'm sure it was more than a hundred dollars. Whatever. What is Rome's currency? The Roman Kingdom, not even the Empire. I was gonna say then I have no idea what it was. Yeah, probably just like iron nuggets or something. Who knows? Iron nuggets. That's canon. <laughs> a goat. A goat. <laughs> the Kingdom of Rome was a lot smaller. We're not even a republic yet. Yeah. Yeah. Throwback. Mostly just a city. True. I that part made me so viscerally upset because I on one hand I was like, good for you. You look happy and healthy. Sorry. Right. Hell well. Um but like I was kind of like good for her. Like she's standing up for herself and being kind of brutal, like and I, I like I think that Tarkin needed to like be faced with that from more people. But at the same time, it reminded me so much of the Library of Alexandria. And while the Roman Empire is my Roman Empire, my second Roman Empire is the Library of Alexandria. I have a sticker on my laptop that says, I miss the Library of Alexandria. I think about it all the time. I think about how much we would know about past civilizations. I think about our relationship with history and how different it would be if we still had access to all the shit that got burnt in the library of Alexandria. And so when she was throwing those books in the fire, I was like, you ah, like, there's no way to recover that information. I, it like made me, ah, Oh my God. No, it was, it was like, it was really hard to like, listen to in that the finality of it was crazy. That's what gets me. And That's I was like, what gets me. yeah. And I think it's so interesting, like, what that says about knowledge and about, like, discovery and learning is that it is only as permanent as it is communicated. Yeah. I mean, like, I think about the way that knowledge can be weaponized in general, like, everything is how you present it and how you communicate and how you preserve it. And yeah, like, things like the Library of Alexandria, losing them, burning these Sibylline books... Um, even I'm thinking a lot recently about the lack of physical media and the way that like, if a studio doesn't want you to ever see this movie, they'll just take it off things and never like off streaming services. And like people don't own physical copies of them. And that media is just gone forever. And the way we preserve knowledge is so important. That's why I think internet archive is so important. Yeah. Um, like they're doing a lot of important work. Is it the copyrightness of it? Is it a little iffy? Yeah. But like, I do think it, to me, it's more important to preserve that knowledge. I agree. And like so many cultures place solid emphasis on like oral history and like passing things down that way. And, and frankly, that's very sustainable. Like I know cultures in like West Africa are like very, on top of that in terms of like having like a griot or a jelly who like passes that knowledge down and is like looked to and renowned for their job in doing that however the cultures that function differently from that that like that that information is actually going to be passed down and like and then if it's not then what you know and then maybe you get to a point where it's not translatable even so it's kind of like Low-key oral history or bust? 
I, I think it's interesting. They both definitely have their pros and cons, whereas like oral history is I think we give a bad rap to oral history and they're like, well, it's a skewed perspective because it gets retold told a bunch of times and like so is written history. Yeah. Right. And or like the like, translations of like the Ovid. Like we what? love to pretend that translation is objective, but language is much more complicated than that. Like there are so many different words in different cultures that mean the same and different things. Like English is a really complicated language. It's really easy to translate things from other languages into English in a way that suits your benefit. Yeah. Like, and we see that. I th- I think a lot about the church and how a lot of the Western civilization's knowledge was preserved by the church. And therefore we have things like pagan gods are remembered as saints because yeah, there's a manipulation of knowledge. But right? I'm reading a whole book about that right now. I'm obsessed with that. It was so interesting because it talks about how after the fall of Rome, there was like, you know, we entered entered a, a dark period and the a lot did of talking about the dark ages last, last I week. think we did yeah. talk about the dark ages last week yeah i did like that um one of the primary groups that like saved a lot of the the knowledge was uh irish monks like christian irish like catholic irish monks translating stuff and like yeah. that they like thanks for doing that i guess but they're obviously going to they're monks they're going to translate it in their own idea of of spirituality and like under a certain lens that like we we actually know if that's what ancient Rome thought of that or is it just what the Irish monks wanted to think? Yeah, because they thought of that. You know, those monasteries were like the holder of all knowledge. Yeah, for the entire Dark Ages, basically, and that's- especially like the only things we know about Norse mythology are from the Prose Edda and the Poetic Edda. And those are both written by two different monks at different times. And we don't really know how these Norse and Germanic gods were worshipped. And like the way that we've reconstructed them using these uh, Eddas is really kind of incorrect because they combine a lot of different cultures' gods. Um it's let like Greco-Roman gods have been a little better preserved because we have things like plays and we have more text um, that that we yeah. as preserved. But like Ger- Germanic and uh, Norse religions and mythology are not well preserved at all because a lot of it was oral. Um, and while like. Greek and Roman uh, mythology started off very oral. It became a much more part of the art and culture as right. Greece developed, where Germanic tribes were much more isolated, much more individualist. And if they had written texts that preserved this, they, they've been lost by the conquering of, of the Roman uh, legions. Right. So fuck Rome. They love to burn books. <laughs> You love to okay Fahrenheit four fifty one, but that kind of like, kind of like you were saying, like that leads me to the idea that I have a lot of feelings about like the conflation of like Norse and Germanic like mythologies in terms of like also how their histories 
like become so different. Yeah. Uh, and people still kind of think that they operated it the same way. And like, oh, divas. Oh, no. Like the, oh, oh, diva. No, because like it does, and it has roots in fascism too. That oh, 100%. The way that we preserved the particularly like Norse Germanic mythology really was written to bolster like its relationship with Christianity. And then that drove Hitler to like to pursue the occult in relationships still with this like Christo ethnic ethnic state. Um, And like, we don't talk enough about like uh, Germanic first right mysticism uh, was like a huge part of of the expansion of the Nazis in, in Europe. And a lot of it was in the name of this, like these Germanic gods that, that we don't, don't, don't really exist. Not, not that like people's, whatever you believe in exists. And like you have different relationships and with these things. And I think there are certainly ways to have relationships with these like Norse and Germanic gods that are, devoid from the relationship with fascism but like we see a lot of reconstructionist um norse practitioners in america in the 21st century are rooted in white supremacy because they see the vikings not even their god like this is even sans the gods that, that that relationship they see the vikings as the like peak of white supremacy for some reason it's it's the Vikings and the Romans, yeah. and and this history has such the imperialism and the idea of being able to conquer is so idealistic to these current white nationalists because it's the way we preserved the history of these cultures is really bolstered by the nationalism of it. Like like we're saying, the monks are preserving this, the church is preserving this the uh the courts of the emperors and kings and like these artists are commissioned by royalty and this is how it's preserved and we don't really have a good understanding of what an everyday person's relationship is to their religion their history and their culture right yeah and in that like there's also an individuality that is taken away I'm I'm still specifically thinking about the conflation of Germanic and Nordic like identity in terms of their history together because like they went their very separate ways. However, Germanic tribes I think had a slight quote unquote advantage in terms of like written history. Then that Germanic identity got pushed into the Nordic nations who were not at all involved at that point in the, in the 20th century in that kind of nationalist movement. And that's how a lot of that fascist power manipulated and took over places like Sweden and like tried to, you know, push their way into Norway and like a bunch of shit like that. Like it's insane how like preservation or lack thereof and like how that preservation or is like how that preservation functions or like is is 
what am I trying to say? Like, is, um, where's the word? Is, like, helmed? Like, who helms it? Like, it's crazy yeah, how... Who, who, who curates these histories? Yes. And it's crazy how, like, that influences very, very modern conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's even... we. We're discovering a lot more, too, about the histories of these places. Maybe, like, maybe people in uh, Scandinavian countries, like, their their institutions um, probably always knew more than, than American institutions. America's views of, of the Vikings in Scandinavian countries is really skewed. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, for real. Our, our perspective on a lot of history has been very skewed. Um, yeah but the the vikings were a very diverse community and as we when we say the vikings that doesn't really mean anything because they were a lot they were tribes see with, with both the scandinavian and the germanic tribes they're all these tribes with very individual cult- cultures and identities that were all combined and washed out by the Roman Empire, followed by the Christian Roman Empire, and then, yeah. and especially in in the Germanic territories in in Eastern Europe, that became the Holy Roman Empire. I mean, and we see this happen in, we've seen this happen all over the world in pretty much every continent, just in different forms. We, and it's a product of imperialism. It's this yeah. imposing a monoculture onto a widespread place and we see the the ottoman empire did it china did it japan did it uh (laughs) europe did it to africa and america did it to south america like and and spain i don't want to discredit spain (laughs) (laughs) spain did it first in south america and then uh, in the 20th century america was like we're we're still gonna do the imperialism right we're just gonna call it something else yeah, we're, gonna do the, right we're just gonna do the imperialism in secret. Yeah, yeah, and everywhere, and everywhere. Yeah, what was fucking up with the twentieth century, guys? Why are we still doing this? I mean, nothing. We're not that much better now. We're just oh, pretending no. it wasn't happening in the twentieth century. No, but like, I look at the twentieth century and I'm like, oh my god! Like, we did so much. Well, not we. I mean, uh, American. I mean, yeah, American. Yeah, American foreign policy and interventionism in the 20th century is not also, give enough credit for how terrible it this was. Is, this is lightly off topic, but just thinking of like how much we fuck stuff up all the time. It's like, like you, I feel like I was ta- I was talking to my parents about this and talking to my sister because she's uh, studying abroad in Spain, <laughs> and she was talking about when we went to Ireland in May. Like you just see these these things that were built like so much longer ago than we were even a thought, you know, like these, like these cities that have existed for like so much longer than America has even been a concept that it's like, what were we fucking on? Like we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. We are so much younger compared to all of these like places that have such like, histories that have been like we had just talked about like like entire eras that have like fallen and and become yeah like something different like like rome if- yeah and like 
the the American empire is so new and young and dumb. Why were we thinking that we could do any of that shit? Like, because we have no business, you know? Because every great empire has fallen. Um, but the unique thing about the fall of America's empire, which is just coming upon us, is that yep. America was also compared to these other uh, dynasties and empires, like, didn't exist for long at all. Right. We, we rose to power very quickly and Very suddenly like america is not that old the 20s we didn't really start becoming an imperial power until the 20th century yeah and pretty much and not really until after world war one but particularly after world war ii we because we came into world war ii and solved it and then we kind of got we took on the identity of like we're gonna go into other countries and fix them yeah. And like under that guise became the kind of imperial power that America is today. Right. And I think that path was set out for us, not to say that like we couldn't have diverted because we definitely could have, but like that path was very much set out for us when the American Revolution ended. Like yeah. to put it in extremely casual terms. I think America got a massive, huge, big head <laughs> when we defeated England. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, That's like, the power that everyone was talking about. Yeah, no, it was because we were part of the British Empire and then succeed, seceded. And then a bunch of other places started uh, trying to suit. follow yeah. the suit. And right. at that, that time, we also were like, well, there's a lot more of America here too. What if we are? Is that yeah, it's, um, yeah, and like that is we shouldn't discredit that that is also part of American imperialism. Yeah, but it's different than modern American imperialism, and it's much more traditional. In which we went and took people's land away from them and killed them and said it was ours. Whereas modern American imperialism is more about controlling these governments from the outside we're not putting americans we're putting our military that's different but we're not like we're not moving americans to other countries we're bringing countries into the fold of the american apparatus which is much more similar to the way that like more traditional like roman british empires worked mm -hmm. because at this point looking at our resume of like all of the influence that the American government has had in the small time it's been alive. Now at this point, I feel as though the hive mind mentality in terms of the government is like, you have seen what our government can do. We don't need to make you a part of us. You should already know that you should be listening to us. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy and also fucked up. But yep. It's interesting to talk about. We have a bomb. Yeah. Oh my god. I have a nice. I have a gun. Yeah, exactly. What do you have? A knife. No. Yeah, that's been, that that really sums it up. We kind of got real off track. This is a good conversation. But, but it was all but at the beginning of the discussion, I was thinking about how like discovery for some reason for some reason I, I feel like the connotation Tonally, when people talk about discovery, is like good, positive. 
um just people talk about self-discovery and that's always a very positive thing i think and like discovery in general of like growing up and discovering things about the world like that's in general a very positive like curiosity inspiring term but like discovery also can be extremely negative and extremely honest like thinking about christopher columbus everyone's like he discovered no he did not yeah it was like especially in this imperial context discovery is really dangerous in that right yes, that the narrative of like columbus discovering the americas and right. but like even we we're just joking about it the discovery of the atomic bomb like that is really tied up in imperialism and the need for war and the the apparent need for war and for defense. But like that discovery wasn't good, but it was also necessary in that like someone was going to discover it eventually. So like it was a race to see who discovered it first. Yeah. And that just like embodies how complex knowledge really is. Yeah, and and on a smaller scale, like that kind of ominous negative discovery connotation is very present in the chapters. Yeah, because it's kind of like we're trying to piece together what could hurt us. Because that is the question posed, I think, by this series as we discuss prophecy. In that, like, what does knowing all this really mean? Does do these prophecies set about what's going to happen or do these things happen because you heard this prophecy and then made it happen? Yeah. And like that, I think the description of the like Sibylline uh, books as like recipes for like, if you want this outcome, then do this is a really interesting new perspective on this that we haven't got yet because it is really rooted in individualistic discovery of like uh cause and effect is much more scientific than mm. everything related to prophecy has been up until now right which is fascinating because i i think somewhat a tangent but like i'll keep it short another historical discussion that or in terms of like history theory that i'm really interested in is like well if that hadn't happened this probably would have like that that idea in my young eyes that could certainly learn more as, as I progress and like, like, I think that idea is kind of a manifestation of like all that we've been taught about how like history can function based off of the people who write it. Mm -hmm. Like we're kind of take, like we have absolutely no idea what could have happened otherwise. Um, like there are infinite options but the idea that we gravitate towards, like, if this hadn't have happened, this probably would, I think is an immediate reflection of, like, the history we consume and, like, the attitudes of who writes it and who controls it. I mean, and that's why the way we're approaching these prophecies is so interesting is because we're taking a new perspective that instead of we're told these prophecies are prescriptive, right. but they're more predictive now in that, like, this gives more of a lens of, well, we know based on what's happening now that this is what could happen extrapolated from that. Whereas right. it's not just like a shot in the dark that like this will happen because it's going to happen. We don't know why it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Right. But it, yeah, it's still left 
like I, I I really appreciate how much Rick emphasizes that like these prophecies could truly mean anything. Yeah, sass moments. These were very funny chapters. They were very good. Yeah. Um, mine is yay," said Tyson. "Can you also do a picture of Rainbow? He's my friend. He's a fish pony. A rainbow is white light," Ella said, refracted through water droplets. Also a fish pony," Tyson said. Hmm," said Ella. I got the feeling I had just witnessed the closest the Harpy and Cyclops ever came to having an argument. I also had that moment. I also had that moment, but I picked another one. Um, really related to what we're talking about for themes, but I also thought it was funny. Most of the Sibylline books read like the joy of cooking, with sacrificial recipes to placate the gods in the event of certain catastrophes. Plague of locusts ruining your crops? Try the serious souffle with loaves of honey bread roasted over her altar for three days. Earthquake destroying a city? When Neptune comes home tonight, surprise him with three black bulls basted in honey oil and burned in a fire pit with springs of rosemary. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I chose two. One is certainly only funny to me because it, whatever. Um, when would people realize that just because I was the god of prophecy didn't mean I understood prophecies. I was also the god of poetry. Did I understand the metaphors in T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland? No. Um, that was that because I read that book in high school um and love it beautiful but very hard to understand T.S. Eliot is fucked up T.S. Eliot is fucked up and the wasteland let me take some effort it takes some effort so I just thought that was silly um but then my second one was I stared up at large golden dad with the first letters in each of those words capitalized thought that was awesome I I I knew you would find that funny that was great. Clips in you. So this is a viewer. Annoying and stupid. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna give it to Jason because it's the last opportunity to do so. And he is dead. And he is literally dead. And also, we've been we've been catching some heat on how much we rag on Jason. I feel like I feel like people in the comments have been like. Why do you hate Jason so much, girl? Condon. No, no, we've gotten a mix. We've gotten like one or two people who are like, "Why do you guys hate Jason so much?" And then the rest of the people are responding to them, and being like, "You know why?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which honestly, awesome. Yeah, I'll. Um. So mine's for Jason. But yeah, fair. He is dead. Um. Mm-hmm. Mine. Mine, I think, is gonna be for Lupa. Okay. I just, you know, no, I respect that. It's it has to be hard, and I this is I think I have empathy for Lupa and even Chiron, even though I don't like Chiron. Um, in this of like, it is your job to like bring these kids to safety, but you know you will watch all of them die. Yeah, and like you know they're all fated for death, and there's. You can do as much as you can, but there's so little you can really do to save them, especially if you're a mortal. I don't know. She's just because she's such this motherly figure. I think I have more empathy for her than Chiron. But um, she just seemed really affected by Jason's death. She did. And I felt really bad for her for that. And she was helpful-ish. She was helpful. She was like, I'm not going to do it for you, but like, I'm going to tell you how to do it, which is honestly better than Chiron. Karen is like, you gotta figure it out. And we're like, okay, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, Karen, go lose some more kids. Lit- literally. Oh, so real. 
Um, I think mine's got to be for Reyna because I, this is something I, I didn't talk about, but I was so uncomfortable with like the whole Apollo Reyna thing. I hate it. I hate it. I hate What's going to happen there? I don't know, but I'm like, please just let her focus on her business. Please just let her focus. Yeah. And who do we want to vote off? I I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. No one like did particularly bad. I I do think it's Tarquin. Sorry, sorry Tarquin, but not yeah. sorry. I he see he has nasty vibes. He hasn't even done anything yet. But but his vibes are terrible. I agree. Um, I'll I'll do Caligula then because he was mentioned. Work. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go with Julius Caesar because he and his army were responsible for burning down the Library of Alexandria, <laughs> and that's why he deserved to be stabbed. Yes, exactly. That's all we for have this week. <laughs> we have thorough lines in this podcast. <laughs> that's all for this week. Join us next week. Where we'll be discussing chapters 13 through 16. But every platform that matters, and we also have a coffee account and a revival. And a website, www.returntocamp.com, and you can go to returntocamp.com slash vote to vote in the Percy Jackson. Or none. You're lost if you don't. (laughs) Send that link to your friends. Send that link to your enemies. Send it to everybody. They're due March 13th. You have two more weeks. To do your civic duty. To do your civic duty. Slay the vote. Slay the vote. (laughs) 